I'm just going to pray and ask God for his blessing. Father, may the words I speak be your words and your thoughts. Give us ears to listen and hearts to understand in the name of Jesus. Amen. Um, right. Uh, jar of rice. It's brown rice because it helps your digestive transit. Um, don't think about that too much. What I'd like you to do, I'm not gonna, I was gonna pass it around, but I will, I will just kind of, you can see it's just a jar of rice that size. I want you to estimate the number of grains of rice in that jar. I will be asking later, okay? Number of grains of rice in, I, I have counted, I've, I've counted in a scientific way, I have counted them, I counted, um, I did 10 one gram samples and averaged those and then I've scaled it up. So I'm pretty confident that I'm around the right level. I just want you to get a ballpark figure. I'm not asking you to the nearest one. Maybe to the nearest hundred, I'll give you. Okay? I'll, I'll bring it around a bit nearer. So you can see the sort of size. Okay. Save the number in my head. Right. You good on estimations? Right. Hold that thought. We'll come back to estimation later on. I was um, uh, doing a lesson this week in in um, in school. I was doing a cover cover lesson because um, everyone's off with COVID at our school. So they called me in and I did a, a, a day of cover. And um, I was reminded, we, we can't do any practicals in science at the moment because of COVID and we can't have everyone, everyone's in masks. And so we, we're not allowed to do anything kind of fun. But I was trying to teach about the, um, uh, the elementary canal um, and we had to do it from kind of slides and PowerPoints and everything. It was really boring because what I really wanted to do was get a rat and rip, rip it open and dissect it and show people where things go. Sorry, Amanda, am I upsetting you? I know, but when they're dead... Oh, okay. <laughs> we, we would do a dissection. Let's change it to a frog because I could do a frog. A model of a frog. Right. The point I'm trying to make here is we want to all the time kind of pull things apart and get to the bottom of things, don't we? We want to kind of understand things. And, you know, if you think about what science is, science is, the, is all about kind of getting drilling down to the smallest possible detail and trying to work out how it all fits together. And we want to examine things. We want to kind of understand them. Uh, we think then that we can kind of have some level of control over them, I think. We want to put things in categories. Um, we want to put things in, in little boxes so that we can understand where things go. And, and I think sometimes we try and do that with God. Um, we, we dissect God. We dissect what he's like. We dissect his word. We try to understand him 
we try to categorize him we try to to, to to put him in a little box and sometimes do you not think that that limits him it limits his power it makes our god too small and this this came from a, a, a book that i'm reading um which is a, a classic famous book by jb phillips called um, god is too small um, some of you may may have read it and and it's his attempt to address the, the, the problems that people have, their attitudes towards um, God. So on one hand, we have this kind of holy, wrathful, vengeful God um, that sits on high. And we kind of heard some of that in Psalm 90, um, cutting us down like grass that's withered in overnight, you know, which is kind of all a bit grim. And on the other hand, we have people kind of who, who have this image of God as, some kind of Father Christmas playing a harp or something in the North Park. I don't know, you know, but kind of fluffy God, um, kind of just with the lambs and the bunnies and all that kind of stuff. And, and neither of them are really kind of the, the correct thing. They may be elements of those. But in Psalm 90, we learn one of the most important things from, from my way of thinking. We learn that God is transcendent literally above everything transcendent that's what it that's what it means god is simply um, profound and profoundly simple that's a phrase i nicked out of jb phillips and that's lovely let's just say it again god is above us and is simply profound and profoundly simple god is above any conception that we might have he's above any attitude we might have towards him we can't figure him out because if we could we would be god did you used to play a game um, well when we were when we were kids i can remember this distinctly once i found out about infinity as a kind of concept in I, i'm probably in, in primary school still used to kind of go yeah, no, I, I, I'll, I raise you. I bet I could do it infinity times one. In fact, I could do it infinity plus three. You know, that kind of thing. <coughs> Excuse me, not COVID. <coughs> Dear me. So if you take the most perfect thing you can think of and multiply it by infinity, you still couldn't reach God. You couldn't multiply it by infinity plus three and reach God. We can't understand God. No matter how many theologies we, we kind of try and figure out, no matter how many books we read, um, no matter how many learned people we speak to, we're never going to figure out God. And in an attempt to, to understand him, we kind of drag him down to our own level because that's kind of the, the, the thing that humans do. And paradoxically, God sent Jesus, didn't he, to us as a man to touch us, to understand, uh, because our, in our sinfulness, God was too transcendent for us to reach. We needed Jesus to be able to do that, to be able to get to God. So he sent him down as a man. Psalm 50, verse 21 says, you thought I was altogether like you, 
but I will rebuke you and accuse you to your face. We're not like God. But through Jesus, we can understand what's going on and we can recognize um, God. We think God's like us. He has human tendencies. But Moses is saying in Psalm 90, uh, he's rebuking us. He's kind of setting the record straight. God is transcendent. Sometimes we make God too small because we underestimate him. We'll come back to estimation later on. Psalm 90 verse 1, Lord, you have been our dwelling place throughout all generations. So that's all ages of lives. So from birth to being a toddler to a teenager to a young person to an adult to a middle-aged person to an old age through death. God is our dwelling place. Or it's also all the chronology of history. So at the beginning of time, creation, the human race has dwelt with God. Kingdoms and dynasties, you know, Egyptians, Romans, Medes, Persians, you name it. They've all come and gone, but through the whole span of history, God has been our dwelling place. That's what Moses is saying in this psalm. And Paul said in his sermon at Athens in Corinthians, in him, in God, we live, move and have our being. So just an attempt to kind of illustrate the vastness of God. It's impossible, but I'll have a go. That This little thing here, this Tesco's token that I somehow had in my pocket, is one centimetre in diameter. Okay. And, and so the Earth is 12,500 kilometres, roughly, in diameter. So this, this little thing here is um, 12 and a half billion times smaller than the Earth. Okay, still confused? I am. 12 and a half billion times smaller than the Earth. But, but this doesn't look particularly significant in this room, does it? It's it's fairly insignificant. You might just drop it on the floor and walk over it. But God is bigger than this hall in relationship to the earth. He's enormous. Light that he created is still reaching us four billion years later, four and a half billion years later. Think about that, that he created light that we still haven't seen yet. <laughs> I think that's amazing. So God is our dwelling place. God is our dwelling place forever. He's not small. He's vast. He is transcendent. You're picking up on the word I want you to know, don't you? Transcendency. God is our dwelling place forever. Psalm 90 verse 2 says, Before the mountains were born, or you brought forth the world and the earth, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. God is before all things. So brought forth in, in the, the Hebrew that it was written in uh, is, is a word called lefalach. And um, it means birth, literally to, to give birth to something. So before God birthed the Himalayas, the Alps, the Rockies, the Pennines, from everlasting to everlasting, before the mountains, before the world, there was God. Remember Genesis 1.1, in the beginning, God. 
And Moses probably wrote this creation story in Genesis. We, we think we don't really know who wrote it, but one of the authors that's attributed to is Moses. So he kind of knew what he was talking about, and he's kind of picking up some of the things uh, from Genesis and putting them into this song, this psalm. Another translation I came across talks about from the vanishing point of time to the vanishing point of time, you are God. So if there are artists among you, and I know, Amanda, you're an artist, you know what the vanishing point is, don't you? I'm, I'm an absolutely appalling artist, and so my vanishing points are always kind of non-existent, which is why all my figures of humans look like kind of splodges. But the concept of a vanishing point is that, that lines converge in the distance and, and eventually kind of come together and, and vanish in the distance, and that makes all your perspective right. And, and that's really what we're trying to do here, isn't it? We're trying to get the right perspective about, about God. A another analogy would be that um, if, you, if you're sailing and you're on a, on a, a flat ocean, um, in ideal conditions, if you stand up in your boat and don't fall off the edge, and you're, you're about an average-sized person, you should be able to see about 3.1 kilometres. That's all you can see because then the curvature of the earth kind of makes the horizon disappear. No, sorry, 3.1 miles. I've got, I didn't go, I didn't go metric on this one. 3.1 miles. And you can't see anymore. And if you move 3.1 miles further on, you can see another 3.1 miles. And just because we can't see doesn't mean that there isn't any more. And we know there's more after the horizon ends from our vision point. And we know that God exists and he's kept his being from everlasting to everlasting, from the horizon to the horizon, if you like. And Moses is declaring in, in this psalm to the Canaanites that God was supreme. And so just thinking about who he's writing this psalm to, and that's, you know, we have to think about the... the the Israelites here, they believed in uh, Jehovah, El Jehovah, the father of all gods. But some of them also believed in Baal, um, another god, false god, that led a revolution uh, in heaven and became higher than Jehovah, as some, some of them thought. And so Moses is kind of setting the record straight here for the Israelites uh, and the Canaanites. He's, think, he's saying, no, look, God is transcendent. Jehovah is above all. So the context of the, the, this particular psalm is important too, but it, it doesn't hurt us to know that God is above all and is transcendent. So are you getting a picture now of how big our God is, our God isn't too small. Psalm 90 verse 4 goes on to talk about, for a thousand years in your sight are like a day that has just gone by. It's also echoed um, in, um, in Peter, 2 Peter uh, chapter 3 verse 8, for the Lord a day is like a thousand years. So this is a kind of saying, isn't it? <coughs> I don't think it's meant to be taken literally because then one hour would be 41 years and a minute would be 182 days um, in God's sight. 
But C.S. Lewis, for example, liked this concept, and he illustrated uh, the eternity of God by having uh, imagining this endless roll of paper, um, and he would draw a line um, three centimeters long. See, I, I mix my units. I really must sort my units out here. <laughs> Um, he would draw a line three centimetres long on this endless roll of paper and he would say the paper is eternity and the three centimetre line is time. Just think about that. <laughs> so you can imagine a tiny little line in this enormous great roll of paper. That's time based in eternity. So going back to our science lesson, just for a second, just to kind of give you another kind of way of thinking about this. If we look at the timeline of things happening to the Earth, okay. Um, so most most scientists believe that the Earth is about 4.6 billion years old. Okay, that's fine. Uh, 3.8 billion years ago some simple cells started to emerge and then one billion years ago we had multicellular life so more than one cell together sponges and things like that 600 million years ago we had the first simple animals 475 million years ago we had plants on land uh, 360 million years ago amphibians turned up and 300 years uh, million years ago reptiles uh, appeared only 200 million years ago, we had mammals first uh, show their heads. Uh, 150 million years ago, some birds. 130 million years ago, we had flowering plants. So the plants that came before were ferns and uh, uh, not angiosperm plants. So we had non-flowering plants. But then 130 million years ago, lots of flowering plants. 2.5 million years ago, Homo sapiens arrived. <clears throat> no, it didn't. That's rubbish. Two and a half million years ago, the first Homo species arrived. It was, there's, it's controversy about which one it was, but Anthropicus and all those kind of there's, there's lots of, Yeah, Neanderthals are quite late. They're the, early, the very early ones, but they were Homo of the genus Homo. So recognizably human. It wasn't until 100,000 years ago that the first Homo sapiens species uh, were around. So that's what we are now. So we're very, very young. <laughs> Just to put that into perspective, if, if we uh, divide 100,000 years into 4.6 billion years that the Earth's been around, uh, we as a species have only been around for 0.00002% of Earth's history. So we're like babies on this Earth as a species. So if you, if you, had, a, if you had a piece of paper 10,000 metres long, 10 kilometres long, imagine that from here to Braintree. How long has man been on the Earth? two meters on that piece of paper. That's it. So we underestimate God all the time.
but we overestimate ourselves. And, and that's what the next bit of Psalms, uh, this Psalm goes on to, to talk about. But <clears throat> when we come back to our estimation now, uh, how many grains of rice do people think are in here? 10,000. 3,100. 3,100. Twenty-six, uh, but around twenty-six thousand one hundred. Who's nearest? You. Ah! You said ten thousand. That was ridiculous. Twenty-six thousand. Absolutely. And the point is. The point is, you all underestimated, and my point is, we underestimate God. We all underestimate God. Psalm 90 verses 5 to 10 talk about how God could essentially wipe us all out if he wanted to with a flick of his finger. Francis Bacon talks about this psalm and says, um, Thou carriest man away as with a tide, then down swim all his thoughts that mounted high. We're putting God, we, we underestimate the power of God because we have this kind of fluffy Father Christmas model of, of, of uh, God in our, in our minds, as opposed to the, the, the vastness of, of the God that is, is the reality. Our God is not too small, but he's too big for us to understand. He is transcendent. He's above all. He's before all. Verses 7 and 8 of Psalm 90 uh, help us to understand our sin. How big is God, but how significant, insignificant are we? Yet God cares about all our sin. Our sin is too big to him. Our tiny little sin that we think is tiny causes God to be angry. Charles Finney, uh, an American evangelist, uh, advises us to write our sins down every day. I don't know whether I would kind of go along with that. I might need quite a big, lip, big bit of paper. But he suggests having two columns, commissions and omissions. So sins that we've not, because we've not done something we should have done, and sins because we've done something. My commissions list are probably going to be huge. And then finally in verse 12, in Psalm 90, we start to think about time and we, we're told that we overestimate how much time we have. Francis Bacon, who's one of my favourite uh, writers, says, Thus has thou hanged our lives on brittle pins. How cool is that? Brittle pins that our lives are just hanging on. And, and pins that will not bear the weight of our sins, he goes on to say. So those pins are going to break. We don't know when they're going to break. But Moses entreats us to apply our hearts to wisdom, to use our time wisely. And Paul reminds us uh, in 1 Corinthians 7 verse 29, that time is short. So let's take 
let's take time to be holy and not to, to overestimate the time that God has given us. Not to underestimate the transcendency of God. Faber said, self-wearied, Lord, I come, for I have lived my life too fast. Now that years bring nearer home, grace must be slowly used to make it last. When my heart beats too quick, I think of thee and of the leisure of thy long eternity. Very old hymn. But it talks about putting our lives in perspective. We're, we're here on this earth for such a short time. In the measure of eternity, think of that C.S. Lewis paper, three centimetres compared, that's just time. If you put your own life in the history of time on that same paper, it would just be microscopic. It would be invisible. So we underestimate God all the time. We try to understand him. But what we have to realize is that God is above all. He doesn't allow us to understand him. But what he did do was send Jesus for us to be able to come to him. So is God too small? No, I don't think so. God is everlasting. God is everlasting to everlasting. Our dwelling place before the mountains were born, you were God. So let's not limit God. Let's not try to, to, to think he's too small. We're too small, but he's a transcendent God. So as we try and grow his kingdom on earth, let's, Let's just remember how big he is in comparison to us and how much power he has in comparison to us. And let's do things in his power. Amen.